Hello and welcome back to the Implexium podcast everybody. My name is Diwaz, I will be your host today. Co-hosting with me is Chris Jennings. Today we are joined by Alex aka Peach and Lewis. In today's episode we cover quite a lot of things. So we go all the way from non-barbell accessories all the way through to west side and things like cutting and water cutting. Uh, before I let the episode play, I just wanted to reach out to everyone. Um, if anyone is struggling during this lockdown period with motivation or um, anything really, then feel free to reach out to any of us. All of our Instagram handles are on the show notes below. Um, I hope you guys are staying safe uh, and keeping sane in this lockdown period. I know things can be tough, but we are all in the same boat, so we can all be an understanding of each other. So, yeah. Um, I will let the show play now. I hope you guys enjoy, and if you have any comments for us, just let us know. Thanks. Okay, so a question from that British geezer. As I just have to say it. Top five non-barbell accessories. Just, just for everything. Right. Who's going first? I'll go first. Start with squat, I think. Um, no, just top five barbell accessories. Lower. Non barbell. Oh. First barbell, isn't it? Um, okay, all right. I'm, so, I'm going right. to go through the top five I like. Hamstring curl. Never <laughs> <it's there. laughs> lying or lying or seated. Whatever you have available. Um, oh. A chest supported row. You guys just for it. Um, some sort of... bar- barbell row. Is it? No, is it? A chest oh, test right? So with a dumbbell or a kettlebell. Um, <laughs> some form of tricep exercise. I really like a overhead dumbbell tricep extension. Mm, when you're uh, some sort of adductor movement, so like a Copenhagen. Or if you've got the, was it the good girl machine or the bad girl? I can't which one it is. That would be the good uh, girl machine. Good yeah, girl machine. Posing, yeah. And then for the fifth one, it would be a split squat of some kind, like an interlateral split squat. Which you can change for front for elevated, rear for elevated. Banded. Choice of yours. I'm going to say reverse band hack squat, leg curl, some sort of machine chest press, probably a chest supported row, and then something that probably drives a little bit more heavy. Probably like a Depending on the athlete's ability, one of those variations of split squat, similar to what Louis mentioned. Um, I feel like you could probably, you could go like SSB if you really wanted to jack them up, or you could do like a Zercher, or you could do all sorts. But um, that would probably be, that probably be my five. Um, yeah. Cool. I would say some sort of flat chest press. Um, chest supported row, either you know plate loaded or like a normal machine, um, something like a wide grip ish. Um, some sort of leg work, so either hamstring lying hamstring curls or um, like height feet placed leg press, um, and then split squats with a low elevated rear foot because i feel like the higher you start the, the, the more you fight for balance and then you can always bring that up but yeah that'll probably be my five 
I'd go um, a lying, like, behind the head skull crusher movement. So, yeah, I, like, you bring your elbows basically, like, next to your ears. Oh, uh, I forgot kettlebell dumbbells. Fucking Berglin, and it is the ungodly tricep doms the next day. Um, well, so I'd have to put a, put a hammer curl in there because gotta get some hammer curl. Um, That's your top five. Yeah, you you've chosen so, a tricep movement and a bicep movement. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, I'd stick a split squat in there with rear foot against the wall, um, and like a. 40 60 percent split like rear foot front foot weight distribution very specific <laughs> yeah <laughs> how are I you like... going to gauge that in the gym <laughs> um it actually, it actually looks like this is a 45 percent to 55 percent distribution <laughs> <laughs> a dumbbell like inclined chest supported row and a neutral grip lap pull down Oh, I do like a good neutral grip pull down. I feel like the one thing that I did miss is probably some sort of hip hinge type movement. Mm. Like a neutral grip dumbbell RDL or maybe like a B stance RDL or something. Fine. No one likes them, so you don't need to put them in. Have you tried um, staggered stance RDLs? Mm. They yeah. are brilliant. Yeah, I like them. I like them. I like them. They made my butt you can do them a little twisty poo too, can't you? I really load that front leg. Yes, you can do a twisty poo. <laughs> little, then a little over. It's nice. really like passive aggressive. Yeah, you really can. That was very, very, very passive aggressive, I must say. For someone like Lewis. Who's up? Me and Lewis have similar coaching cues sometimes of like, yeah, throwing a little twisty poo. <laughs> Yes, sir. Do it. Really find that muscle on your leg, you know? Only I have to find, find out what that means. Find the adductor. What's an adductor? No one knows, no one knows what that means. <laughs> it just, it's just, one, of those, it's one like, of those things coaches like to say to make themselves sound smart. Yeah. <laughs> find the adductor. Yeah. Yeah, really find the gracilis. Let's go. <laughs> Right, has anybody else got any other questions? Diwaz, have you got anything? Or do you want me to crack out the three that I got given? Yeah. So these were these were late entries to that first um, AMA that I put up. They better um, not be they better not be bots again. <laughs> I don't I don't think they are, but I mean they could be. One one I know definitely isn't. Uh from Kim Murray, PL. When were you? Uh, when you were younger, what were your plans for the future, and have they changed since? Oh, God, that's deep. Deep. Uh, deep. Um, when I was younger, God, did I have any plans? I don't know. I'd love to ask my younger self. Fucking hell, you're ambitious. What is your full-time dumpling? I wanted to be a full-time dumpling eater, competitive dumpling eater, but apparently those things don't exist, so I had to settle for the next best thing and... Um, live at home and have uneven dumbbells. Live at home and have <laughs> uneven dumbbells that goes up in 10 kilo increments or is stuck on at 12 and a half kilos. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's rusted on. Um, oh, and, and a very narrow bench. 
that I nearly died on yesterday. <laughs> How so was put, it? So put the barbell on, right? And I was, I was, I was trying to put 20 kilos on one side. And then uh, obviously because the, the hook is so much in the middle, it was like leaning to one side every time I put it on. So I couldn't put it on. So I settled for bands because I couldn't be bothered to lift the 60 kilo barbell up onto the thing because I felt like I was going to die. Because it's... Because not only is it like narrow, it's very like unstable and like all of the screws on it, I think it's just because it's been outside and stuff, it's like all rusted and like giving way. So it was not fun. But, you know, can't complain. Don't it's you have it on grass though? I also have it on grass, yeah. You yeah, but it's the yeah. <laughs> Grounding, <laughs> grounding, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, no, I, do put it on, like, I do put it on a map. I don't know. Anyway, you guys, so younger you. Younger me. What about younger Diwaz? I don't even know. I don't know what my plans were for older me. I I can't understand why you, like, when you're putting weights on, why you don't just, like, slide the barbell into the middle to put, like, one side on so it doesn't fit and then just slide it back. We're really struggling with this question, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) So off on a tangent. Okay, but basically, I think when I was was younger, I probably just wanted to, well, how young are we talking? Well, I think let's, it's deliberate. I think it's deliberately let's, let's ambiguous. Just, just go like eight-year-old Diwaz, twelve-year-old Diwaz, sixteen-year-old Diwaz. Okay, well, I think I wanted to be Diwaz. I think I wanted to be a pilot at once, and then and then I realized I was then I realized I was um afraid of heights. And now you're an so. air traffic controller. <laughs> now I'm an air traffic controller. Yeah. Uh, and then I think I wanted to be like. Um, some sort of pro in 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 football, and then and then I realised quickly that that wasn't going to happen. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, after that, I have I have no more dreams about what I want to be in the future because I was living in the present. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, I don't really know. So that that's my boring answer. All right. Pass the baton to someone else. <gasps> Um, when I was really young, I wanted to be a, like, um, sewer maintenance person because we went on a school trip and, uh, we did like all the stuff through the tunnels and I just loved like crawling through the tunnels. So I wanted to be like a sewer maintenance person. Um, and then, then I wanted to be a Royal Marine um officer until i pretty much went to uni and then i was like uh when i went to uni they were like oh you can earn more money if you go in with a degree so i was like sound um and then i did sports science and i just fell in love with sports science so i wanted to do that and here i am decent mate how old are you now 25 yeah yeah wait how old are you lewis 26 I'm the, <laughs> I'm the youngest. Lewis, here. Lewis, I'll send, I'll send you the um, the uh, the weird like fish I want. Yeah. yeah, I turned 26 in February. Yeah, you were old. You're not that much younger than Peach. No, Peach is what Peach. You're what? You're a year older than me. 27. Yeah. So fucking wise. I don't feel 26 whatsoever. What, what about you, Lewis? What did you want to do? Did you always uh, want to do what you're doing now? <laughs> To be honest, yeah, I kind of did when I was younger. It was either something in sport or what I'm doing now, which I won't go into too much detail. 
yeah, so I've kind of just followed what I wanted to do when I was younger anyway. It kind of took yeah. a big pick up in the middle and I ended up going to uni for five years. But that was a good time. Got two degrees out of it, so I can't complain. Flex. And some gains. <laughs> also some debt. Yeah. But yeah, we're all in debt, mate. Don't worry about that. It's the life, isn't it? Yeah, quite a lot of debt. It's just the way it goes. Um, what about you, big boy? Well, uh, I felt like story. as I when I was a kid, I always kind of wanted to be a professional sports person. Um, so I used to swim pretty seriously as a kid. Thought I wanted to do that like pro- professionally. Uh, up until I basically started fancying girls um, <laughs> and realised that. <laughs> realized realized that the training just like wasn't it and training like 20 hours a week just wasn't for me in a swimming pool up and down continuously so i sacked that off uh started playing more team sports uh for a few years i really really tried to get good enough at basketball to try and go over to the us and do like a they had like a program where you could um go into like like a high school for a year and do almost like the equivalent of like the last year of sick form over in the us and then try for like a junior college or whatever, but I wasn't good enough to do that. So uh, sacked that off. Uh, I did okay in school. Um, I went to uni for economics, lasted half a term, dropped out, got a job in the fitness industry uh, at 18, and here we are. Oh. I hated it. All right, fair enough. Yeah, just just wasn't for me. I was like on my laptop, like writing programs for friends and stuff on the, like the. So I commuted from home to London because I couldn't afford to live in London. Um, or didn't really want the debt of living in London and uh, was writing programs and stuff and like reading T Nation every day and Elite FTS every day. Um, and was just like, fuck it, why don't I just commit to this? So I did. My parents weren't very happy that I dropped out of uni in like the first six weeks, eight weeks. But when you know, you know, fam. So I just dropped out, did that. And then uh, been doing this thing ever since. So I'm entering my 10th year in the fitness industry this year, which is pretty wild. Do you ever feel like you dropped out of uni a bit prematurely or definitely? Uh, as in like you could have done like a different course or something like that? Like maybe, but I wasn't really, a, so I went to like professional kind of college. So yeah. there weren't really any options outside of what I was doing other than like something even more like dry, like accounting or like yeah. London economics. Uh, it wasn't LSE, no. Um, it was like a professional, like business kind of college. But yeah, um, <clears throat> so not really. Like maybe if I'd have gone to like, <clears throat> you know, a, like maybe like a bigger uni, I might have felt differently because I didn't really have that uni experience very much, which probably would have made it more fun and a lot easier to do. And you know, like would have joined like sports teams and stuff, and I might be in a very different spot. But um, as of right now, not not really. Um, I feel like looking looking back at it ten years on, like I feel like I made the right decision. So. No regrets. No None. regrets. None, mate. Now I get to spend my isolation time chatting shit on the internet for two hours every day, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> isolation life. Oh, I go back to work tomorrow. Yeah, that's fucking peak. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah, that one goes, boys. I'll be thinking of you whilst um actually I was gonna say something about that's a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> you already do that. You told me that you already do that, do you? Well, with Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Especially after that marmalade joke. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Alright, what are these other questions then, Peach? Um, well, this is a weird one. What is the longest plane trip you've ever taken? Alright. Um, I think 12 hours to Rwanda. Rwanda? Where's that? Wakanda. Wakanda forever. In Africa. Rwanda. How come you was going to Africa? When we competed for um, Uni Worlds in South Africa. (laughs) We... um, (laughs) We had to fly to Rwanda and get a connecting flight to um, Johannesburg. Oh, fair. The shittest airport I've ever fucking been in in my life. Like, to go, to go to the toilet, you have to go back through security to go to the loo and then go back again through security to go to the checkout, check-in lounge, whatever it's called. Lovely. It's terrible. Yeah, that's the longest flight I've been on. Let me, let me just check the flight. That I've been on. Go on. Who's next? Go on, Chris. You're up. Um, I don't actually know. Been to a, a few long places. Um, what's the call? Either I don't actually know the flight times. Either India, um, India is probably the longest Tokyo overall but we had a stopover in between or Kenya don't know Kenya mm. what can you do eh <laughs> <laughs> go on D-Waz oh dear fucking popper and flexing go on Peach uh I think it was probably Australia. Um, yeah, I flew to Sydney in 2008 or nine, um, and did a season out there as a snowboard instructor. So that was pretty sick. Snowboard in Australia? Yeah, man. There's a a national park like kind of between Sydney and Melbourne, and there's there's mountains that have... there's oh, a lot nice. of like, there's a lot of like artificial like snowmaking out there as well. Yeah. So, you know, like the big snow cannons that you see in like some ski resorts. So a lot yeah. of it artificial snow, but it's it's pretty sick, man. That's why I did a big um charity thing for Oz is because like that national park was on fire. So oh. like, I had a load of friends that work out there and stuff, and I was a bit like, oh shit, I want to try and do something. So yeah, man. Oh. Yeah. Pretty sick. Uh, mine was probably to North Carolina. That was nine hours from here but overall i think obviously the longest flight i've been on is from nepal to here and then or from here to nepal i don't know how long it is i think it's like total of 16 hours <clears throat> but you've got to do you got to do a, a layover most of the times because obviously you go back no i've not been back since 2011 do you want to go back uh nah not really oh there's not, a, there's not really much there for me, so there's no point. Obviously, I, I'd want, I want to go back soon, but no, not. Holiday. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not compelled to go. <laughs> what was that? Sorry. Holiday beach cocktails. There's no beach there. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's la- I'm pretty sure it's landlocked, isn't it? Yes, it's 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 in between um, China and India. Terrible country. Don't want to go there. You went to India. No, I want about Nepal. If it's beach, if it's landlocked, sorry. Is, is, is that, that your is that your, in de- India? is that your definition of a good country? If it has beaches. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big See, I mean, it is. It's covered in natural wonders. Have you ever heard of the Himalayas? Yeah. <laughs> the Himalayas. The Himmel what? <laughs> well, what's the third cue? My last <clears throat> question is, lads, this podcast might dry up after this, so prepare yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> if life is a game, like some people say, what are some of the rules? Fuck don't be enough. a fucking dickhead. Indeed. Hold on, why don't why don't we all contribute three rules? Who's going first? Can you repeat the question, please? Fucking hell. (laughs) (laughs) Say fucking who wants to be a millionaire, mate. If life is a game, like some people say, what are some of the rules? Okay. Don't eat yellow snow. (laughs) Don't eat yellow snow. Um, Make sure you fill up your car with the correct fuel. And... No, come back to me. I just have one, and that's don't be a dickhead. Oh, God. Who's got email? It's exciting. Amazon. Oh, my third one can be abide by the law. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Chris, what are we saying? I've got no idea. Um... Eat steaks. No good to you. <laughs> the rules of life. What if, what if you're a vegetarian or a vegan? Eat steaks. Steak. Linda, uh, McCartney, Linda McCartney's got you, fam. You'll be all right. <laughs> do some nice sausages. Number two. Um, if you don't go to a beach once a year, you're failing at something. Number three. Sorry. I don't know. Right. My three are always be Yoshi on Mario Kart. (laughs) Um, You can learn something from everyone that you meet and um, like do unto others as you'd want to have done unto yourself, I think. Very philosophical. Yeah. So don't be a dickhead. My last one is always concentrate while wielding sharp implements. <laughs> that's that's experience, is it? That yeah. is the uh, that is the roundtable of the Implexium Plus Two podcast. They are the, there are twelve commandments of sorts. <laughs> Follow them or die. <laughs> right, that's. That's it. Mate, I feel like we have to give a shout out actually to this page. If it's a bot, it's the most intelligent bot I've ever seen. Or there's some there's some real sad person giving me twelve questions into my AMA. Powerlifting <laughs> powerlifting underscore hunting. Yeah, but I got loads from them as well. So how are you finding these 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 pages? This was a question to them, obviously. Um 
but she's probably not going to hear. Well, it. I feel like they should probably listen to this episode because if they don't, then we've answered all of their questions, and I feel like they're missing out on some fantastic content. Yeah. <clears throat> Imbeciles. So, okay, right. I've got a little bit of an idea, right? Go so, ahead. since the podcast today is called Goblet of Squat. The Tell Corona me. Chronicles and the Goblet of Squat. Yeah, the Corona Chronicles and the Goblet of Squat. Tell Shout me everyone. What's the heaviest um, Goblet Squat you've ever done? I don't even know. That's such oh. a. I oh, think I, I did. I think I did a fifty kilo dumbbell for fifteen back in the day. It just like makes my abs like kick off. I just get fed up of holding it. Yeah. Like, I think, like 40 kilo maybe, just because I can't be asked to hold anything heavier. I think I've done 30 kilos because that was the max kettlebell that my, my gym used to go to, and that's probably about it. Or a dumbbell in your garden. My dumbbell, my dumbbell in my garden does good for. Uh, oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I said 50, and I was like, I don't know. You've got another viable exercise then, Diwaz. What's that? Max reps, goblet squat on max dumbbell weight. What yeah. do I look like? A crossfitter? What else are you going to do? I'm going to deadlift. Barbara Rowe. Please. Barbara uh, Lardiel. How many plates have you got? Four. Bro, you need to do some tempo snatch grip deadlifts. That's what you need to do. Oh, God. Hey, not, not, with the, not with the tempo snatch grip deadlifts again. <laughs> you, need, you, mate, you need to hit that up. You've got, what, 110 kilos? 100, 110 kilos, yeah. Like, you're not even that much of a bad deadlifter that 110 kilos is going to challenge you. So, yeah. you got to make it harder somehow. Deficit, uh, snatch grip. I've got bands, mate. I can get bands. Banded. Oh. I get the bands on there. It's fine. Reverse chains. Don't even worry about that. Uh, multiply. Reverse chains. So like, yeah. This is the thought process Wait. of some coaches. What's that, sorry? This is like the thought process of some coaches. Trying to like reinvent the wheel. <laughs> reverse bands. Single leg. Banded, reverse chains, well, concentric deficit, tempo, concentric pause, snatch grip, deadlift. <coughs> Basically, oh. if it doesn't fit on my Excel sheet, I know it's a great exercise. <laughs> With an adductor constraint. <laughs> what a snatch grip, deadlift. Sinks and single leg. <laughs> yeah, what single leg? What single I call, leg? I call it the flamingo deadlift. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Sorry, you, guys. you were saying about you want to talk a little bit about squatting, do you? This episode. Yeah. Did everyone answer their max? Max. I think, uh, max thing. Chris, did you Chris, say yours? Max. Max goblet squat. I think I did 40 kilo dumbbell just because it was the heaviest dumbbell, and someone just said, "Can you do that?" And I just did it for like two reps. Oh, sorry about you, mate. <laughs> Big boy. That, B- that BDE. <laughs> Do you remember that uh, time that we were in, uh, we were training together and those two lads came in, there was that one guy who was constantly on loudspeaker <laughs> conversation and they tried to max out their hammer curls. Yeah. And it was the most like, awful thing. Come on, mate, you can do the 50 kilos. Yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, no, no, mate, I don't know about that. And then he did like <laughs> 20 and he was like, oh, that was a bit hard, wasn't it? And he was like, no, nah, you could do 35. It was awful. It was awful. Probably one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I've hammer curled 42 before. All right, mate. One. For one. Was it a hammer curl, though, or did you just swing it up? And so, so what RPE was that, and then what back down sets did you do afterwards? Um, it was a single at eight, and then I did no back downs. 
<laughs> Single A. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should have, you should have run the rack, mate. That's what you oh, should have done. He's in a peaking block, mate. Leave it out. It's in a peaking block. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair enough. Um. Anyway, so my question was going to be. Because obviously, I'm I'm guessing anyway. Most people started. Most of you guys started doing high bar first. When was when was your transition to low bar? And do you remember it? And how you know how comfortable was the was the was the transi- transitioning phase? I loved it. I got a knee injury, like patella tendonitis. So then I had like. Mm, six months off any sort of squatting because it was like it felt like my knee was going to tear off at the time um and then i went straight into low bar and i was like shit this is amazing fair enough lewis i've got a video of my squat from 2014 if you want to see it don't worry i've already seen your transformation um videos so probably seen it already Oh, go on that. That's not even a bad looking squat, you know. It was a one. That's not that bad. So is that a strength shop? Oh, belt. Oh, 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 how did you feel that? What the hell? I think it's, you not see yeah. his mid back. His mid back went gooey, and then he had no chance. That went full flexion. <laughs> it was like he was squatting and deadlifting at the same time. Literally, bro. <laughs> With a toe elevation at the same time. Um. So I was like a real lanky high bar boy for the longest time. Well, actually, I say that not really that long. Um, so I think it must have been 2014. I tried to learn how to low bar. My first comp, I squatted high bar. Um, and I will show you guys it. I'm just going to find it on my Instagram. But basically, for some reason, I thought that high bar and low bar were like two completely different movements. Um, it was almost like the two movements were so separated, like in my head that I thought that they were like completely different. You know, one was like entirely hip dominant and no forward knee travel whatsoever. And then high bar was like all the forward knee travel. Um, so I tried to learn like real old school powerlifting style, like open up my stance, go to flats from heels, um, like really, really reach my hips back and try and minimize forward knee travel. I sat down onto a box uh, for like ages trying to kind of get used to it um and shock it like jacked up my si joint um and my lower back felt like shit um and i basically had no real ability to brace or to control that position very much so here's like here's like one of the (laughs) yeah so it was pretty wide um i really opened my stance up a lot and then um basically like tons of my work was done to uh to a block just into parallel and like if you see the bottom position of my squat you i feel like you should probably put this one on, on youtube but if you see that like femurs are in an awful position there's no way i'm standing up weight distribution is not over the middle part of my foot at all um and then <clears throat> i basically yeah i had no tension or control in the in the lifting at all so here's what my high bar squat used to look like you look like a weightlifter there well, I used to basically train like one, kind of, for a bit. It's just all over the place. It looks uh, like my squat now. What's that? It looks like my squat now. <laughs> Long boys. Um, 
so yeah, squatting in loads of extension. I put a belt on, but I didn't really know how to use the belt or what it did. Way <clears throat> too tight. I, yeah, it was just bad. Um, so yeah, man, I think uh, I think it needs a lot. Um, well, basically, I think people kind of overreg it in the head. I think you can you can effectively just move the bar down your back a little bit, and as long as you understand the basic mechanics of where the bar needs to be over your midfoot, you're probably going to be okay. Um, I think this is sometimes an issue that I see. Like, not I don't want to sound like a hater here, but I feel like some some coaches attempt to justify their employment a bit too much by overcoaching and making things overly complicated. Like transitioning is not that much. Like you, in my opinion, I, I feel like there are two ways to go about it, right? And I think we might have mentioned this on the podcast before: is you can go from like high bar, high high bar, or like whatever your stance you're squatting in to like as low as you can take it into a low bar. So that's kind of like option one is just jump straight in and almost have two different models of squat. Or you can like across training cycles, gradually work the bar down your back and just have that be your squatting movement of choice. For most people, they're not going to be on either end of the extreme anyway. So they're not going to have the highest bar position, nor are they going to have the lowest bar position they can. They're probably going to end up somewhere in between. And that's likely to be a combination of factors of like, like limb lengths uh, and build as well as like strengths and muscular strengths and weaknesses. Um, so somebody who's probably stronger through, through their quads and has maybe a slightly longer back, is probably going to have a slightly more higher bar position and a slightly more upright squat and then vice versa. I don't know what you boys think about, about that, but that's kind of my experience. And I think most people think that they, there's like high bar and low bar and there are two positions, whereas most of the time people end up in this kind of like mid bar range somewhere, depending on their muscularity and where they feel comfortable holding the bar. Well, I've said this for a while that like the difference between high bar and low bar ultimately is just the bar placement. And within low bar, you get a minor increased degree of like um, hip angle. But like in terms of the squat mechanics itself, it is essentially the same. And like you said, people go from one extreme to the other. So they'll go from a very high barish weightlifting esque squat to then this really hip hip hinge low bar, and then it just it looks completely different and it just looks weird and that's when you get stuff like back problems hip problems and then they'll go really wide it's basically like your experience what you just said and it's not that different but people just like they just overcomplicate it so I, I agree with what you said yeah i mean i feel like the only reason that i've got um so much to say on this is because i feel like i've made a lot of the mistakes and you know what i mean like it's, it's trial yeah. by fire like i've i've learned I've learned this stuff because I've fucked up and I've hurt myself multiple times. And you kind of like, you learn these things much more quickly when you do have to, you know, work your way through those things. I mean, I say quickly, it's not quickly at all. Like I've been doing it for a long time and that's the only reason I have such strong opinions on it, I think. Um, and I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of people. So you kind of learn how to coach these things more succinctly over time. Um, yeah, man, I feel like, people do overcomplicate it and overjazz it. And I honestly think that's from where a lot of people have come and learned from like, I think overwhelmingly, like say some, something like Westside or Louis Simmons is an overwhelmingly positive influence and has been on the community and has brought powerlifting into like the forefront much more. And I can't discredit that. But some of the things that he used to teach due to the nature of the equipment and uh, the ways that they used to squat then have kind of transferred over to what people maybe think low bar is, or at least those people that are like came up in powerlifting five or six years ago kind of had an impression as to what it was or what it is. Is that like 
sit back, sit back, sit into your hips, take as wide a stance as you can type of squat where the equipment was maybe quite supportive for those guys and let them get away with that. I don't know what you think about like the influence on um, <clears throat> like equipped lifting and how it, especially like old school, like 80s, 90s, early 2000s, equipped lifting has influenced the education and understanding of coaching and movement mechanics now. Because I feel like there's definitely a big backlash. Not backlash, but like, you know. It's slowly now going away. And by slowly, I mean very slowly. Like, you are getting these new ideas and opinions on how it should be in terms of powerlifting nowadays and how raw lifting is essentially not equipped lifting. But people still have these ideologies and methodologies of equipped lifting back in 2000, late 90s in terms of powerlifting. And that that's still around now. And it is very much that old school mindset of programming lifting technique whereas now i feel like there is a slow transition away from that and the more people that get on board with that the quicker it will go but <clears throat> it's just very much the same like in terms of programming as well the way they structure blocks and stuff like that it's pretty much like hypertrophy strength peak and then they do the old like um like what you were saying about technique and stuff it's very it's very much like I don't know, I feel like it will go away slowly, but and there is a transition now, but it's just gonna take more time until that eventually goes. It's fine. I think that's just the evolution of the sport as well. So it's just the natural kind of way it's leading to it. So I don't think any I don't think anything's gonna stunt its progress or or whatever, but yeah, it's it's um it's done a lot, obviously, West Side in terms of bringing powerlifting into the light, equipped lifting anyway. Um, but yeah, glad we're moving away from that. Well, I even think that, like, even maybe like just judging off what Lewis has just said, like, even me and him have probably got a different model there because I, I wasn't even necessarily referring to like a block periodization kind of model because, like, with West Side, it's like a it's like a concurrent model, so. It's, it, I, I suppose the closest thing to describe it to would be like a DUP type of thing, but they would probably more work on multiple strength qualities within a block, which is kind of like DUP again, I guess. But where DUP and Westside, I suppose, differ is the um, mostly on the spectrum of like specificity. So like DUP, traditional DUP, when it kind of first came out and like Zordos and a couple of other guys kind of like coined it and studied it and stuff. That was basically just like comp variation X number of times a week and it was super high frequency. Whereas West Side is very much like a, you basically have like a strength day and a speed day and a um, max rep day. And you basically like alternate between the three, but it's across like a bigger, it's a longer time window. But not only that, the variation would rotate along with like bars, etc. cetera. Um, uh, so that, it wouldn't even be, structured phasically in a in a similar way to what you mentioned it would literally be like the the effectively the exercise variation would de like would determine the supposed training outcome and i think the issue with with it as well to a degree and not necessarily just at lou simmons but any of the coaches kind of in around that era is it was like reliant on the coach to make the right training decision constantly which i know that sounds really obvious but it's like there would almost be some salesmanship with the coach or the way that I've read into it and kind of understood it is like, oh, we're going to do like SSB squat to a box with chains. 
because this is going to fix this weakness or like we're going to do reverse band whatever's to fix this weakness type thing and a lot of that is kind of stemmed from you know louis simmons being a i mean you, you can't argue with his results with the multiply equipment at all um but it kind of relies on him being some sort of like mad scientist and getting things right rather than there being like a a system or a um a more structured way to develop training approaches you know yeah i think like with the louis simmons thing i think most people if they go to that sort of environment and they have that sort of like intensity his issue is like he breaks a lot of people and like some people just can't hack the environment well a lot of people can't hack the environment but yeah what was that documentary that um he was in west side versus the world yeah it's on that was pretty eye-opening to watch that one because it wasn't like sorry i haven't seen it is any good you can see how crazy he is is what i'll say might have to watch it today yeah it's worth the watch to be fair 100 percent. yeah i don't regret watching it but it's it's certainly eye-opening in 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 the in the way that how he worked and how he is as a person um yeah the man got like uh what's it called expelled from like kindergarten or something for like punching a teacher or something like that. it's crazy what? yeah what? yeah that's what he did didn't he yeah it's, it's on it's on the documentary you'll see fucking hell it was it was a young school i'm pretty sure it was kindergarten yeah 100 <laughs> percent. three or four years old yeah like, honestly exactly and then he like he dropped out of school or something, and then started working with his dad and on construction or something. Uh, obviously not at three or four, but this was when he was a bit older. And then um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. And then he started training in the shed. And then he broke his back. And then he re- reverse hyper and was like, "Do this, and it will fix your herniated spine." Um, and then he said that again. And then he broke his back again. And then he did that again. <laughs> <laughs> As a probably snapped his spine up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was his L four, maybe L five, something like that. Just broken in between. Snap. From like what? a little bit. I don't know. I can't remember. I think it was a deadlift or something, or squat maybe. Oh, it's a squat, I think. Oh god. I, th- I think anyway. I can't remember. But um, yeah, watch watch it. It's, it's definitely worth a watch if you guys haven't watched it. Um. Oh, that rib cage down over his pelvis well enough clearly not mate i mean it might have something to do with the weight he was handling as well which was probably a lot so yeah possibly. give him a night hip lift it'll be fine <laughs> I, I don't even think you'd buy into that idea pr i like I, you would have been like get out of my garden oh, cool. or wherever Big he was you, you've seen, um... barbell's garden is it <laughs> sorry garage <laughs> have you watched nori's lower body video warm-up routine mm. he does no i haven't yet when did you post it's quite informative quite decent for like a generic warm-up for people to do that i'd like want to be introduced to pri there you go watch that watch our video guys if you're interested in pri and wanting to get into pri the basics the basics kind of ties into well it's fine it's good um <sighs> Here's a basic one. What's everyone's squat one, I am? <laughs> Shit. 
I'll, I'll start then. Uh, mine is 250 kilos. Mine's 255. But I, I identified as under 66, so it was actually like well over the world. Well, actually, was it even over oh. the world record? Probably not. No, over the world record. <laughs> well, I just, have to do that uh, now, mate. Sorry, um, I, I identify as a under 57 female uh, lifter, uh, and I squatted 250. 250 which is like um 100 and something kilos over the world record so yeah you that. Got, yeah you technically got the record mate technically got just, that. yeah who's next i like pj listening uh i know i am listening i i just had an email from facebook saying that somebody in serbia trying to hack into my facebook <laughs> um what i just i just sorted that out um so Dark, uh, my best in gym squat is 265. My best in competition squat is 255 or 252 and a half. I can't remember. 265 was done at like 112 body weight and 250 or 252 or 255 was done at 105. Um, I should have squatted 265 that comp. I mugged myself off big time. But that's what happens sometimes. Um, yeah. Was that your question? Yeah. That was your question. Yeah, cool. If you're listening, yes, it was. <laughs> uh, I too identify though as a sub junior under 47. So <laughs> sub junior, bloody hell, that's a big, big, big record. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. My best comp squat is 182. Ah. Oh. Uh, um. 66, but I don't know what I weighed on the day. It was like 64.6 or something. What's your best one now? Um, <laughs> fairly comfortable, 190. Right, I'm going to try and outbench that in six months. All right. <laughs> I thought you said you were going to do it whilst in lockdown. Oh, shit, yeah. On my homemade rig. <laughs> Mate, just, just ring up ring up the boss man and just start coughing down the phone and be like, look, I'm really sorry. I need another two weeks off. <laughs> That's how that's how it works. That's fine. <laughs> oh, Lewis, what's, okay. Lewis, what's your um squat max? I already said. Oh, did you? Sorry, um, I, I... it was two fifty five in training, and then I fucked my hip up and got hurt, so I only squatted two fifty in comp, which was a bad oh. idea. I should not <clears> at all. Shouldn't have even gone that heavy, should you? You just wanted that in handy. I should have just pulled out. <laughs> yeah. I like how you said only 250. Because 250 is still heavy, right? That's not. And are uh, like... Because, well, I was talking to Peach about this the other day. I say, I, I say the other day. I can't remember when. I, I remember talking about it. But it's like our perception of strength is so messed up. Because obviously we're in the world we are in like to the average gym goer you say oh i squatted 250 kilos they're like oh my god that is a lot of weight but then when we look at 250 kilos it's like it's all right but it's, it's do you know what i mean like it's, it's well, not but it's all not. i think about is some dude that's like 30 kilos lighter than me squatting i'll, I'll just say the same me. thing mate about <laughs> fucking, and they're squatting five reds yeah you're just, you just like oh, <laughs> oh, oh right uh, like i am humbled but that's like, well, I feel like this often comes down to the position that you're in on the bell curve, though, right? Like, it's one of those things that if you're 
if you're say starting powerlifting and you are relatively new and you're you're progressively getting stronger but maybe you haven't got to a point where you know you're in that like say say you're a normal person and you're not like one of these people that turns up and at their first comp they've got like a 450 wilkes like most people probably start somewhere in the like low to mid 300s on their first couple of comps and you're probably looking up at like the people that have you know totals that are probably I don't know, low 400s, mid like, oh my God, they are so, so strong. But all those people that are kind of at that, like, you know, 430 to 460 mark on the Wilkes are only really looking at people that are like around 500. And those people are like some of the strongest people in the world. And I just feel like you only ever really look uphill. Um, but the other thing that's kind of weird is like social media is kind of bad for this as well. Like when I was more competitive in maybe like 20 like 2018 like competing a little bit more seriously like I had to run through my Instagram and basically like unfollow all of my potential competition because it just it, it just used to drive me insane mate so I'd be like I'd like log on onto my Instagram and I'd just see people doing these like ridiculous rep sets and like massive singles in their training and it just used to really fuck with me and it used to make it like really like I don't really know the word just like it used to really really mess with like my training mojo I suppose and it just didn't it didn't serve me well to to have those people like but every time like you log in you see like Josh Edwards yeeting like a 340 deadlift like you just don't need <laughs> that like um i mean it wasn't quite those sort of numbers in in 2018 but like you know you'd see you'd see these people doing ridiculous training lifts and it just doesn't help you it didn't help me personally i know that some people probably would be like maybe inspired by that or want to train harder but it just made me feel awful especially because i'm really really terrible at reps i know that in our group chat we joked around about this the other day because um was it amanda lawrence put up that massive set of like eight or nine reps yeah recently and like you know this is going to sound like a weird thing to say but i can actually out squat amanda lawrence only just um <laughs> but she's like she is she's fantastic at reps right so like i look at if you were to like compare what i can do for reps compared to what somebody like that can do for reps you just look terrible and like that doesn't really serve you that well I mean admittedly it'd be it'd be a very strange day if me and her were to compete on the same competition but what I'm trying to say is like <laughs> some some people are good at certain things and others aren't as good yeah. and you maybe need to identify whether or not it's actually beneficial for you to compare your training to those people but if you can't help but log yourself into a social media platform and compare yourself to people that you might be competing against it might not be worth following them. You know what I mean? Like I have a lot of experience that in terms of other lifters like that I coach. They'll like say, right, one person's got a comp in ten weeks, right? They look at who's lifting in their weight class and they'll go through their profiles and they'll send me their lifts and their previous comp totals like, Oh, do you reckon I'll get more than that? Do you reckon I'll be doing this? Or they're squatting this or like they're they just bench this, but then you're like, Yeah, but your total is thirty kilo more than theirs. I've dealt with that so often and it's mostly in females rather than males um well, I feel like I feel like we're all guilty of it though I feel like um sure especially if a competition is like you're looking to be as you know but you know you're potentially going to be quite competitive or you're vying for a certain spot or whatever like you can definitely fall into that trap easily um and I think oftentimes like things that people forget are a lot of people that are competitive sit well above their weight class, like sometimes mm -hmm. even like fully into the next weight class. Um, 
and sometimes the trading numbers that they put up are just not repeatable at the actual class body weight. Sometimes. Um, <clears throat> sometimes. Well, I mean, so, sometimes they are repeatable, but like yeah, yeah. some people sit really heavy, don't they, Chris? And, uh, have, to <laughs> cut, and have to cut really, really hard into comps, um, which can make a huge difference to their totals and things like that. Um, especially, I think, when it comes to a lot of people, in my opinion, could cut in a smarter way and get too closer towards competition body weight sooner, but they don't. So then, you know, like if you take, for example, a competitive 105, might be sitting at like 115 and doing their rep work, you know, sixes and eights at like 115 kilos. So it's completely out of this world, say like on squats. Sorry, right, carry on. It's carry always on. useful to start your cut a long way out because then like your, your training is going to be more predictable of your performance because if you go into like if you go if you're like four weeks out from a comp and you're sitting like i don't know nine ten kilos out from your weight class and you have to do like a massive calorie deficit and a huge walk cut as well you're probably not going to look that good for competition unless you're a freak well supposedly like what josh greenfield was that can keep those sort of numbers um so like it's always a fairly good idea to like be sensible do like a like for me, I don't even like cut that much. I've got mm, still probably like above maintenance calories. I just up my expenditure. So whether I get more steps in or do like a little bit longer on the bike every day, I'll slowly bring my weight down. And that's never really affected me on a platform too much. Well, I think cutting is in like cutting calories on a peak is the stupidest thing to do. That's when you need food yeah. the most. Yeah. Learn, learn from mistakes this is a lot yeah Don't do that. I, I mean i would say and i can't take credit for this um alberto nunez kind of said this and he was basically talking about how basically post-competition people should do something of like a recomp phase and basically eat and train a bit like a bodybuilder for a little while and eat a little bit less food get leaner get their body weight down so that they can potentially be in in a surplus all the way into a competition and he was even talking about that for some more uh, like elite athletes that he works with, um, <clears throat> how he feels as if they should get leaner and focus on like physique type stuff and get away from the barbell for a little while. And then basically be in something of a calorie surplus or at least at maintenance all the way into the comp, because then, you know, training response is um, heightened to a degree if you're able to eat more and recover better, um, especially if you are able to actually gain weight throughout competition. Um, which takes a lot of planning. Um, and I know that um, Suzanne and Maddie spoke a little bit about this as well, is like people are just too lazy. They're too lazy to come out of a comp and go, oh shit, I need to diet for 12 weeks to get back into a place where I can then gain weight all the way into my next competition in maybe another 12 weeks. So, and it requires a little bit more discipline and those sorts of things. So I feel like people get a bit lazy and they're like, oh, I just want to, I want to have good training all the time. Don't want to be in a deficit, like whenever I can get away with it and then have to do these like absolutely savage cuts. Now it's not like me trying to at anyone. It's just, I feel like with a little bit more foresight, you could probably set it up to be more successful. Um, it's definitely something that I've tried to do in the past and it's hard, it's hard to do, but. Of course. Yeah. Well, carrying on from that, I think it's a, it's just a lack of motivation for people because <clears throat> um they almost certainly sorry sorry <laughs> so yeah i just had a little thing about through anyway so i think it's it's most certainly a a issue of motivation 
because I think a lot of people use their prep time, quote unquote prep time, for kind of motivating motivating themselves through the diet phase. So they obviously like enter a comp and they've got like say 12 weeks um, and they're like, okay, good. Now I'm going to start dieting to get into, um, into my weight class for 12 weeks time. And then once they get to that 12 weeks, because they've kind of been so strict and super strict on all food, all water intake, everything like that, they end up kind of binging out of the um, competition and then that's probably why because uh, obviously if you're going to be super strict on calories and then you get uh, even a little bit of freedom back then you're obviously going to bounce out of that <clears throat> bounce out of, the, out of the habit of kind of eating that clean food and a clean um, like tracking daily as well so you know as long as there's a little bit of planning it will be all right but I think most people fall into the trap of that um, I think that also plays down into like game day nutrition as well we spoke a little bit about this on the last podcast, was it, I think? Or maybe the previous one before that. Uh, and I think that's where you get people eating a lot of sweets and, and, and a lot of stuff uh, in their game day food um, that they normally use, they normally wouldn't normally eat. So, yeah, that's my take on that. Lewis, what are you doing? <laughs> Shoulder rotations, bruh. So, Chris, as a guy who does sit a little bit bloody well class, what would your opinion on this be? Like, what would your um, what would your thought processes be in terms of if if you could have say say you had literally fifty two weeks to prep for a comp, how would you set up your nutrition realistically, and what would you try and do? Uh, I'm in the lucky position that I get Dan Norris to do my nutrition for me, um, and he has done it for the sort of last year and a half so knows me quite well knows how like my body reacts to like being in surplus maintenance um calorie deficit um but what we sort of try and do is like we won't ever try and take me into a calorie deficit i do just up my expenditure um we'll say if i'm like from a 52 week of the year sort of thing for like half the year i'll probably try and like stay the weight I am if my training is going nicely I'm not going to look to put on weight at all if anything like if I lose weight during that time fine while still staying in like a slight surplus fine um but then when it gets to sort of like 20 maybe like 16 weeks out um would like slowly up expenditure so then we just like chip away weight um and again it's not fast like a tend to go like hmm, maybe 400 500 grams a week like as that like if that and then that'll get me down to pretty much around 67 and then a one kilo water cut at the end if i need to if i'm like waking up heavy like a couple of weeks or like um the week of the competition um that's like that's what i tend to go for and that's what i feel most com- comfortable doing I don't really like to go into like a massive cut and I don't really like to water cut either. Like I'm not a massive fan of water cuts. So I'll just try and chip off like fairly slowly with keeping like calories high. And then I don't mind doing expenditure because it makes my legs feel quite good, like active recovery at the end of the day. So. Nice. Yeah. Lewis, do you say heavy for your weight class? Uh, uh, uh. 
<laughs> Possibly. You can't stay heavy if your weight class is 120 plus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm like 109, 110 right now. Like 105. So you could say that's heavy. <laughs> yeah. So like 71. It's difficult though, because like our periods where I'll drop like two, three kilo out of nowhere because I can't eat at work, and then I'll have weeks where I'm so under my calories because of like shift work. That I, I don't really monitor or track things properly anymore, and I don't really seem to care. Because when I competed in November, I think I cut four and a half kilo just from a water cut quite easily, and I felt absolutely fine. And I rehydrated well, and I had no issues on the day. So for me, it's because of my work schedule and stuff, I just sort of just, I don't know, I just yellow it a little bit. And then if I'm heavy, like 10 days out, I'll start prepping my water cut plan. And then just do that because I can cut water quite easily. It doesn't really seem to affect me. Nice. I've never really done a big water cut. I think the most I've ever cut for a comp is 10, 11, 11 kilos, something like that. But it was all through food. Not a big water cut. <laughs> I've never done a big cut before. Maybe like a little No, kilo. I said, no. 11 I said, kilos never, is a lot, bro. I said I'd never done a big water cut. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, water cut. Said I've done 11 kilos for a cut. Oh, um, right. Yeah, not a water cut, unfortunately. It's pretty mad. The much easier is to cut water. It is much easier to cut water, but I don't know. I mean, I think if we were talking about a reliable athlete who had a lot of variables under control, mm. you'd probably rather would have the heavier athlete. You know, if they can cut a few kilos through water comfortably and rehydrate well, then you're probably going to want to be the bigger guy on the platform. Only if you're talking about being as competitive as possible, right? So we're talking like top three finishes at nationals, that sort of stuff. I think too many people think that they need to be like the biggest dude in their weight class when like they're, they're maybe a relative beginner or they're not going to place very well anyway. And then what they really need to worry about is probably not cutting at all and probably just coming into a comp with the best peak they could possibly have um and kind of trying to control it's like beginners cutting for weight classes i like i kind of i kind of understand it from like a a psychological point of view like you know you're nervous and you want to do the best that you possibly can and i don't feel like i mean for me personally i know that like those pre-competition kind of jitters and that kind of like the nervousness and the like energy that you want to put in towards your training before your first comp. I, I, I feel like I, I've, it's never been replicated since like it, like training for your first comp, you probably train harder and, and you care more about it than I ever have since I think. Um, and you kind of understand why people might want to be like as big as they possibly could be. But at the same time, like you don't want to be messing with, you know, all of that, all of those potential variables, like you've got enough to worry about. You don't want to have to worry about your body weight and what, you know, dieting into a comp really. I feel like that's probably not the best thing that you could do. So what are your like keys for a successful water cut? Cause I've always had terrible experiences on water cuts. Um, so, well, you probably, you probably initially need to look at reliably how much you reckon that person could lose. So the bigger and more muscular somebody is, the easier it is for them to lose more pure kgs as 
I was gonna say or Worlds went from ninety nine to ninety three for a water cut, which is quite a lot for a ninety three as well. It's a lot. God dang. Um it was actually quite surprising he even made weight to be honest. It's like seven and a half percent, something like that. Yeah, because I think he weighed at ninety two point four six or something like that. But he, he was definitely like 98, 98, 99 kilo at the start. But he performed really well. So Good purely enough. purely through water cutting, um, there are some decent resources out there. I think I think the strength athlete might have one on their website that kind of like talks talks people through it. I could be wrong though, but it could be in their freebie section. JP um, Couchy's got one as well, which is quite good. There, there is plenty of information on it around there. I think basically, in in simple terms, if you're just doing it through water, there are two things that you probably need to be aware of, and that is sodium intake and water intake, basically. Um, and then effectively morning and nighttime weighing. Um, you need to titrate your water up. So basically, let's just say normally you drink three liters of water every day. Most people recommend you work your way up to two and a half to three times that intake. So let's just say at the peak, you'd go up all the way to nine. You'd hold that for a couple of days. And then you basically, well, there are two different ways of doing this. Some people cut it in half and then basically like fast. Some people just go from nine to like six the next day. And then you basically do 14 to 18 hours without anything uh, and then weigh in. Should I, give two, two case, sorry, should I give two case studies? Go for it, man. Uh, right, I'll do mine for, for my comp. So I normally drink on an average day, like water-wise, about five to six litres anyway. Um, so I think I went up to, I think it was 10 or 11 litres a day. And I did that. So I competed Sunday. So I drank that from Monday until Saturday. So I didn't even cut water the day before like some people do, like people say, some people cut it in half. Um, so I drank the same amount all the way till then. And then on the Saturday, I cut sodium completely. On Friday, no, so Tuesday to, what's it? Thursday, I kept my sodium a little bit above normal. Friday, I put it back to normal. And then Saturday, I cut it out completely. Um, weighed myself in every morning and every evening. And my weight was consistently dropping. I was pissing so much. my I was shitting out just liquid in the end. Uh, yeah, <laughs> my food was the same. I kept my food completely the same. Um, and then on the Saturday night, so I competed the next day at like, I think I weighed in at about one. So I ate and drank until I went to bed, basically. And then I woke up in the morning and I was, I think, half a kilo over. So I took a shot of, coffee so i had an espresso shot and then i ate a hundred gram bar of dark chocolate and then after that i went through shit and then i dropped under and i was like 104.8 when i got to the comp and then i was there for like three hours because i was handing lily ended up losing another kilo so i ended up eating a little bit more food and then i weighed in at like 104.4 or something like that um and then case number two is uh one of my girl she competed at bench nationals she was weighing quite a lot over um same sort of principle we did like doubled her water intake from when was bench nationals at sunday was it saturday uh, yeah sunday sunday so we doubled our water intake from monday until friday um on friday we cut out sodium completely we cut her carb intake in half and replaced the calories with fat 
kept protein the same. And on Saturday, because she was still over and it was quite a severe water cut, um, <sighs> we ended up keeping water in until midday. So literally until midday, she ate and drank um, as much as she wanted to. In terms of food, it was no carbs at all, no salt. It was literally just protein and fats. I think she was just eating literally just chicken, eggs and avocado um, and then drank as much as she liked, stopped eating and drinking at midday and then took a um, laxative tablet and then the next day weighed in fine and then rehydrated and was had no issues with her performance. Yeah, so, I mean, Lewis has mentioned, like, a few different things that you can manipulate. So you can absolutely, like, manipulate, like, um, like food volume. Um, so swapping out carbohydrates for fats so that you're eating the same number of calories, but the actual weight of the food, like, on a scale is less. Um, so over time, that will basically change the intestinal weight. And effectively, you'll be eating the same number of calories, but there'll be less physical weight within your gut. Um, so that's a big thing that you can you can do. Um I think manipulating things like um, like playing around with laxatives, saunas, hot baths and stuff are probably slightly more extreme measures that you might oh. want to avoid if you're thinking about this, um, especially because you really run the risk of stuff like that, that it can mess up your stomach. And the last thing that you want is like an upset stomach when you're trying to compete, especially if you're trying to max out your squat and deadlift. Yeah. <laughs> um, <Loads of> so... <laughs> So they're definitely worth uh, considering or they should be like last last point to call. I mean, realistically, the number of people that this should apply to is going to be really small anyway. Um, but they're the variables that you can play with. Um, the one thing that people first time they do a water cut are probably going to find themselves craving is sodium. And that's like the last thing that you want to start. You don't want to start intaking sodium, especially to taste as you're water cutting because then you basically end up holding onto the fluid and you'll gain weight rather than manipulate body weight like you're trying to do so um it's definitely not something that you want to do if you can avoid it um because competing could be stressful enough in and of itself but those case studies are viable options um yeah i mean we had one at british bench didn't we with um vwas where we had to check up we had to check up on someone who was um like very overweight um and had to do like a water cut hot baths then got there in the morning weighed in heavy and had to do sprints on the treadmill <laughs> in like in like two layers of like tracksuits um to cut to come in um which was hectic um and kind of stressful but everything worked out okay in the end um they still they won, won to be fair they, they won a thing didn't they yeah yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if the, I don't know if she PB'd. No, she must be PB'd. Yeah, she did. No, she didn't. Oh. No. Um, there you go. But I know that um, there were some other factors at play with that as well. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hectic. Um, very stressful. Very so, stressful. Yeah. Very very stressful. So if you're thinking of doing that, I'd probably not do that. But, I think we've already covered that it's only for a specific view. Although if you are a coach listening to this, you might want to you might want to know these kind of like protocols and different things that you can do, right? To to potentially adjust that. Um I feel well, like if, if you're a coach listening, most of the time your answer should be you don't need to walk up. The majority of the time. Unless you're dealing with athletes like a few of Lewis's athletes are particularly competitive at like the national level and 
you know, if you're if you're talking about big competitions where they're likely to place in the top three, then then it's a different conversation, I think. Mm-hmm. One yeah. thing to keep in mind for women walk playing is their menstrual cycle as well. Oh yep. Like period period timing, everything like that has a massive impact on water retention. Uh, that's actually what happened to the person that me and Dwaz are referring yeah. to here oh, as well. Yeah, um, yeah, made a huge difference because I kind of said like, "What the f is going on? Like, why are you needing to cut this hard? Why haven't you sorted nutrition out?" And she was like, "Oh, actually, this happened." And I was like, "Oh my god, yeah. all right." Um, and that can vary as well, uh, female to female, big time. Um, it doesn't affect body weight too much in some, and it can massively affect some ladies in you know a lot so it's worth worth considering it's a good mention another thing as well um is how often they go to the toilet and if they're actually going so i had a lifter who we all know quite well um last year who didn't shit for four or five days didn't tell me um obviously didn't make weight and then end up shitting out a lot of kilos after (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if, if you are listening, which I'm sure you will do, shout out to you. <laughs> that was fucking stressful. Ended up going in the sauna, coming out and gaining 100 grams is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Honestly, don't know how that's fucking possible, but it happened. So, yeah, just keep a track of how often you're going to the toilet. If you're not shitting, let someone know ASAP if they're doing your walk up for you. <laughs> stress in my fucking life at a comp that was hilarious pooping matters everyone that's taking home today's episode pooping matters and you should always be yoshi on mario kart (laughs) (laughs) what else was what was it oh yeah and abide by the law obviously yeah obviously 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 oh one two (laughs) (laughs) don't be a naughty all right. Well, that about concludes this episode of the Goblet of Squats. We hope you the, enjoyed the Corona Chronicles and the Goblet the Corona, of Squats. Yeah, yeah. I'm you can't, just, you I'm can't forget that bit. Get it right, host. The Corona Chronicles. <laughs> anyway, so this is, this is the number. Goblet. This is number four, right? So what? This what have the three been previous to this? Right, so we, I tell you what, in when we post this, make a comment and see if you understand the joke that we're getting at with the titles of these uh titles of these. Like, I feel like it's pretty obvious, hundred percent. It's gotta yeah, be bro, it's I'm, gotta... I'm trying to I'm trying to up your interaction here, bro. Because <laughs> everyone'll be like, Oh my god, I know, and then they'll write it down and then you'll get loads of comments. Free if you it. guess if you guess them all <laughs> right, winner gets if you guess the name of the next episode, D Wells will send you a free t shirt. And a year's free coaching. Yeah. Oh, maybe not a year's free coaching. <laughs> One day's and, free coaching. <laughs> and he'll get you that premium. I'll get you that premium, yeah. But thank you all and, very much for And Lewis will send you the funny edits from this episode of the Earth's Head. It will be public domain now, I recommend uh, those ones. It will no doubt be on his story in about. Hey, pilot. Uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a couple of hours. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah. So you can find me at Dwaz underscore Implexium on Instagram. You can find Chris at Chris underscore um, on. Oh Mark, I've messed that up. <laughs> Chris underscore Implexium. Uh, we can find Implexium at at Implexium. Um, <laughs> this is the third time I've done it, and I still don't know his at. So Lewis can at himself. 
Smith, L O U I S. And uh, next year, he's going to be dropping the podcast, which is going to be called, what's it going to be called, Lewis? Uh, Key Time with LKS. There you go. The Lewis, you the, go. Keys, Lewis the Keys Smythe. And uh, look up Lily. You, you can find me at Peach Squats, at Italian Barbell, and keep an eye out for the Buy One at Eight podcast with me and Jim Ellie dropping on the 13th of April.